हरि हरि बोल जय ओम विष्णुपाद परमहंस परिव्रज गजाजा अस्तोत्तर शिशिमाद एसी भक्तिव्रत स्वामी श्री लप्रोपाद की अनंतकोत्तर वैष्णववृंद की ऑल ग्लोरीज टू द असेंबल्ड डिवोटीज ऑल ग्लोरीज टू द असेंबल्ड डिवोटीज ऑल ग्लोरीज टू द असेंबल्ड डिवोटीज ऑल ग्लोरीज ऑल ग्लोरीज टू शिशि गुरु एंड गौरंगा ऑल ग्लोरीज टू श्री लप्रोपाद ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम ज्ञानाजनाशलाकायाचक्षुरुलमिलिचामजैनाचास्मायश्रीगुरुवेनमहाजनाशलाकायाचक्षुरुलमिलिचामजैनाचास्मायश्रीगुरुवेनमहाज
that Upashrutya, having overheard Ninadam, sound, Jagatpaya, the fear of material existence, <clears throat> Bhaya Avaham, the threatening principle, Prati, towards Udhyaya, rapidly proceeded, Praja, the citizens, Sarvaha, all, Bhartri, the protector, Darshana, audience, Lalasa, having so desired. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. The citizens of Dwarka, having heard that sound which threatens fear personified in the material world, began to run towards him fast just to have a long-desired audience with the Lord, who is the protector of all devotees. Purport. As already explained, the citizens of Dwarka who lived at the time of Lord Krishna's presence, there were all liberated souls who descended there along with the Lord as entourage. All were very anxious to have an audience with the Lord, although because of spiritual contact, they were never separated from the Lord. Just as the gopis at Vrindavan used to think of Krishna while he was away from the village for cowherding engagements. The citizens of Dwarka were all immersed in the thought of the Lord while he was away from Dwarka to attend the Battle of Kurukshetra. Some distinguished fiction writer in Bengal concluded that the Krishna of Vrindavan that of Matura and that of Dwarka were different personalities. Historically, there is no truth in this conclusion. The Krishna of Kurukshetra and the Krishna of Dwarka are one and the same personality. The citizens of Dwarka were thus in a state of melancholy due to the Lord's absence from the transcendental city as much as we are put in a state of melancholy at night because of the absence of the sun. The sound heralded by Lord Krishna was something like the heralding of the sunrise in the morning. So all the citizens of Dwarka awoke from a state of slumber because of the sunrise of Krishna. And they all hastened towards him just to have an audience. The devotees of the Lord know no one else as protector. This sound of the Lord is identical with the sound with the Lord. As we have tried to explain by the non-dual position of the Lord... The material existence of our present status is full of fear. Out of the four problems of material existence, namely the food problem, the shelter problem, the fear problem, and the mating problem, the fear problem gives us more trouble than the others. We're always fearful due to our ignorance of the next problem. The whole material existence is full of problems, and thus the fear problem is always prominent. This is due to our association with the illusory energy of the Lord known as maya, or external energy. Yet all fear is vanished as soon as there is the sound of the Lord, represented by his holy name, as it was sounded by Lord Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the following 16 words. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We can take advantage of these sounds and be free from all threatening problems of material existence. So today we'll discuss fear, becoming fearless, and the role of faith of helping us become fearless. 
The Srila Prabhupada says in this purport that there are four problems of the material world. The food problem, which we know is eating. The shelter problem, which he also sometimes refers to as sleeping. The fear problem, which we also call defending. And the mating problem, which is mating. And he says the fear problem gives us more trouble than the others. And it's true because, one, part of our um, problems with the food problem and the shelter problem and the mating problem is the fear of not having it, not having enough food, not having a nice, comfortable, safe place to sleep, um, you know, not finding the right person to mate with or mating with the wrong person. So those are the fears that we have. And then, of course, we have the fear itself, right? We're fearful of being attacked. And um, I've also heard that of the problems, we're constantly defending, we're constantly in fear, even if we're not fighting. Like if somebody says something, we fear, what do they mean by that? Do they not like me? Do they think bad of me? You know, so we automatically start defending you know, because we fear that we're being judged, or we fear that we won't be loved, or we fear that we won't belong. Right? So those are some of our fears that we have. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita 2.56, one who is not disturbed in mind, even amongst, amidst the threefold miseries or elated when there is happiness, and who is free from attachment, fear, and anger, is called a sage of steady mind. So fear is something that we want to become free from. So we have to look at what is fear first. And, of course, it's defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. I think it's interesting in the definition, it says caused by the belief. It doesn't say that it's caused by something that is a threat. It's caused by the belief that something is a threat, which means in some ways the fear is in our mind that, Something is threatening, so therefore we're fearful. Of course, there are things that we need to be fearful of, right? If there's a tiger or a python or a cobra, you know, poisonous snake sitting right there, that we need to be a little bit fearful so that we can act properly, right? Um, So fear can actually be a good thing. It can be a warning signal. So when we're feeling fear, we can actually ask ourselves, like, what is this fear telling us? Is it true? Is it something that we have to be fearful of? Or is it something that's a belief? Right? So when you, when you see a lion or a tiger, it's not the belief that you're, you're in danger. You are in danger. Right? So therefore, you have to have a little bit of fear so that you act properly. But at the same time, we don't let fear control us because what happens sometimes when we're in fear forget we you know there's that fight or flight syndrome but it's actually fight flight or freeze and a lot of times we just freeze we know that um saying the deer in the in the headlights right so the deer gets caught in the cars coming and it sees the headlights and it just freezes and stares at the car instead of moving out of the way so sometimes fear can have that effect on us and especially if it's a real fear then we don't want it to have that kind of effect on us. We don't necessarily want to fight either. Like, are we going to fight a tiger? Or if a car's coming towards us, are we going to fight the car? No, we want to, you know, flight. We want to run away or find safety. So we want to be in control of fear. 
in ourselves. And the way we control fear is really asking ourselves, what is this fear telling us? There's three major types of fear on one's you know, school of thought. There's the rational fear, like I described. There's something that's really dangerous, and it's rational for us to fear it. So that means that, you know, this is a real threat. You know, somebody's brandishing a, th- a knife on you. Um, the, I mean, in recent uh, things that we've been going through, right, the coronavirus, there's something to fear in that because we've seen that um, people can get sick and have severe illness, and if you know, a lot of times they can die, and even if they don't die, they can have long-term effects of that illness. So that's something to fear. But again, it's it's um, fearing with control, you know, fearing in a way that we act properly and not let the fear control us. So if you have someone that's threatening you with a knife, you don't want to get so overwhelmed with fear that you, you know, run into the knife or you, you know, act in such a way that that person's going to become even more agitated. So you want to either um, find an escape quickly or you want to, um, you want to, you know, find a way to defend yourself, fight, right? But you want to do it with sound mind. And if you let fear overtake, even if it's a rational fear, it's not going to help. Then there's the primal fear. And this is um, innate fear that's programmed into our brains. Like we might have a fear of um, snakes or spiders or enclosed spaces. Um, And somehow they're there because you know, at some level, on a primal level, we know that they, these things can be dangerous, but they're not necessarily dangerous. For instance, I was just talking about, um, the other day I was walking out of the hallway into the into the back parking lot, and this huge rat just ran across outside. It wasn't even inside. It was outside on the other side of the door, and as I was opening the door, I guess I must have disturbed him, and he ran across, and I screamed, Right? That was fear, but it was kind of, it was more from a primal fear. Um, But, you know, who knows where that's from. But that rat wasn't going to harm me in any way. And yet I was, like, totally fearful. And, you know, a couple people came up to me. They're like, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, it was a rat. And they're like, that's all? We thought, like, you were being attacked or something. (laughs) Right? So it was a little bit irrational. So that brings us to the third type of fear. It's irrational. Doesn't make any logical sense. Um, you know, this could be like fear of clowns, fear of um, things that don't exist. These are the kinds of fears that lead to anxiety, to panic attacks. So there's something about, like, if we have a fear of clowns, there's something that happened maybe um, with a clown when we we're younger. So when we see a clown, it triggers that fear response. Um, this comes from the belief of threat. Of, of danger, but there is no actual danger. So in some ways, you know, I, there's some belief I have about rats being dangerous, but there was no actual danger. I wasn't in danger. So these are the kinds of fears that um, we can see in the material world. And then we have this saying that the only thing to fear is fear itself. Well, who, what, who or what is fear itself? 
That's Krishna. It says here, fear personified. That's who he is. Krishna is fear personified. And he states that in the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I don't have it quoted here, but, you know, he says things like, time I am, um, death, right? He brings death and destruction. He's, so he's fear personified. But at the same time, <clears throat> we don't have to fear. As devotees of Krishna, we don't have to fear Krishna. But when we're not devotees of Krishna, we can fear Krishna, fear God. We see that in the example of the story of Nershingadev, right? Nershingadev is this ferocious half-man, half-lion incarnation of Krishna, of God. And he's very terrifying, and he's angry, and he's fighting Hiranyakashipu. And even the demigods were terrified of him. But Prahlad Maharaj, as a pure devotee of, you know, of Krishna, of Lord Nishingadev, was not scared at all because he knows that he's here to protect me. So, you know, once we become devotees of Krishna, then we can see that he's here to protect us and there's nothing to fear. And interestingly enough, I just thought I'd bring this in as an aside. Um, we're singing the Damodar prayers. In the second verse, it says, Upon seeing his mother's whipping stick, he cried and rubbed his eyes again and again with his two lotus hands. His eyes were fearful and his breathing quick. And his mother Yashoda bound his belly with ropes. He shivered in fright and his pearl necklace shook. So we can imagine little Krishna being scared of his mother. Right? He's shivering and he's shaking and his eyes are wide with fear. And we think, okay, well, if he's God and he's fear personified, then... What is he afraid of? And here he's playing the role of a, a child, you know. And how does a child act when they're about to be punished? They get fearful, like what's going to happen? So he totally takes on that role of fear. But in some ways that fear um, is there because we're fearful of, you know, the punishment we may get from our mo- mothers. But at the same time, it's it's not a real fear. fear. Like, Mother Yashoda was not going to whip him with the stick. She was just holding it in a threatening way so that maybe he would come under control. But he would, even if he didn't, you know, she wouldn't have threatened him. And a lot of times we have that fear of our parents, like there's that threat, you know, just wait until your dad gets home. Um, and, you know, then you'll really be get punished. So then we fear when our dad comes home. But really that fear is, is um, I wouldn't say it's irrational, or irrational, because there's no actual threat. We may perceive that there's a threat coming, but our parents love us, and then that is more to like help us discipline our, ourselves. And of course, now we're in a new school of thought is that using fear isn't the best way to use discipline, right? That using rational logic and um, understanding that this is the wrong thing to do, and this is why, and um, trying to get the you know, the child or whoever to come to that understanding with you. So, you know, it's changing, but fear is still there. We, you know, I've heard um, some people complain about that, you know, fear is used to control the masses, like, oh, that the threat of the coronavirus was grossly exaggerated to keep the masses under control. And you know, in some ways that's true, and in some ways it's not, because we did have a lot of deaths. We still are having, you know, effects of it. Um, but it comes down to the same thing. It's the threat is there, and the idea is, look, if we aren't doing, you know, acting properly, this threat will become more and more widespread. 
So then we have to act with rational thought and, you know, saying, okay, yes, there's a threat and we don't want to put ourselves at, at risk and we want to make sure we're taking all the precautions. But we also don't want to live in fear all the time. So we have to really find that balance of these two things of, you know, there's actual things that to be feared, but also we don't want it to control us. And that's when um, we come to try to get to a point where um, fear is not really controlling us. So in Bhagavad Gita 12.15, Krishna says, One by whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anyone, whose equipose in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety is very dear to me. So that's where we're trying to get to. I've heard that, you know, we can look at fear as, you know, F-E-A-R, right? Forget everything and run. Or, you know, false evidence appearing real. Those are two ways of looking at fear. But there's a third way of looking at fear. And it's saying, face everything and rise. So we still act in the face of fear, understanding that we have the fear, um, so courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is acting despite the fact that there's, you know, we're afraid of something, that there's something to be feared. So when we do that, we can be fearless. <clears throat> Magogita 16, 1 to 3, Krishna says, Fearlessness, self-control, tranquility, these transcendental qualities, O son of Bharat, belong to godly persons endowed with divine nature. And Srila Prabhupada says in the purport of Bhagavad Gita 5.12 that this is the secret of Krishna consciousness. The realization that there is no existence besides Krishna is the platform of peace and fearlessness. So once we come to the understanding that Krishna is always protecting us no matter what, then we can really um, surrender our fears to Krishna to God, to say that, you know, yes, there might be a tiger here, but please protect me. Please give me the intelligence or the sense to know what to do in this moment, right? So we may still be acting, and it may look like, you know, we're acting with control and authority, but actually we've given up that control to Krishna and saying, you know, you guide me. You um, lead me to where I need to go. You know, you determine my fate, my um, destiny, right, in some ways, what's going to happen. So in terms of we were talking about the four problems, the um, eating, mating, defending, sleeping, right, if we surrender that to Krishna, knowing that Krishna is always going to provide us with those things. He's always going to provide us with food as much as we need. He's always going to provide us with a pl- you know, safe place to sleep. He's always going to provide us with Someone, you know, if we, that's what our desire is to make, then he's going to provide us with that. And he's always going to provide us with the ability to defend ourselves if we need to, right? So we don't need to in excessively endeavor for these things. That also doesn't mean that we have to sit around and say, well, I don't have to do anything, and Krishna will provide all. No, we have to do our part. We have to do whatever our duty is in serving Krishna, whether that's going to a job and earning money to take care of your family and be able to donate, you know, it's whatever it is, we have to make sure that we're doing it with the idea that Krishna is going to protect us. So we don't have to overly endeavor. 
think I've heard it said, you know, Krishna wants he can give you the entire world, all the gold in the world, but what will you do with it? That's really what it's about. Like, what are we, what is our mindset? What are we thinking? How are we interacting with our actions? Are we doing this because, oh, this is going to bring me pleasure and I'm going to feel good and I'm going to have a big mansion and a nice car? Or am I doing this because I want to serve Krishna and because I'm doing this, you know, with that mood of surrender, he's going to take care of everything. You know, I've shared this story before, but I'll tell it again because it's good for me to remember it too. <clears throat> As I share, whenever I chant my japa, I like to walk, and I walk around my block. <clears throat> and this was right around New Year's, so, wow, almost a year ago now. Um, time flies. But so right around New Year's, I was walking around my block, and as soon as I had come to the cross street of, my street in the main street, <clears throat> I would see a couple of pennies laying on the ground. So I picked them up, and I was like, oh, pennies, right? And so I'm just circling, and in the course of chanting 16 rounds, I probably circled the block like 12 times, 13 times, something like that. And so every time I see someone, I would wish them a happy new year and hand them a penny, because they say when you find a penny, if you give it to someone else, it brings both of you luck. But if you keep it to yourself, you don't get any good luck. So every time I'd get pennies, I would give it to whoever I'd pass by and say, Happy New Year, so I would give the pennies away. And the next time, there'd be more pennies. And like I was like, did I just not see them? By the third or fourth time, I, I was like actively looking for more pennies, and I was like, oh, I found them all. And then, you know, I would give them away, and there would be more pennies. So I felt like Krishna's message to me in that moment was that, you know, if you're just giving things freely, you know, just by saying hello to someone, it's an act of kindness, giving them a penny, you know, it's like I wasn't thinking, oh, I need to keep all these pennies to myself, was giving them away. It shows that if, you know, the more you give, the more you get, right? So it was Krishna telling me that as long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, he's going to provide everything. And I just thought it was a really great example for me to always keep in mind. So we want to come to the realization that, you know, Krishna is going to provide us with everything. We have no need to worry. We have, there's no need for anxiety in that, you know, or fear. In the purport of 16.1-3, when we're talking about the qualities, Srila Prabhupada says, the first qualification is fearlessness. It has to be alone without any, you know, we have to be alone without any support or guarantee of support. And so we simply depend on the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. If we think, who will protect me if I leave, you know, all my connections, um, then we're not, we're not thinking of relying on Krishna for that protection. One must be fully convinced that Krishna, or the Supreme Personality of Godhead, in his localized aspect as Paramatma, is always within, that he is seeing everything, and he always knows what one intends to do. One must thus have firm conviction that Krishna as Paramatma will take care of a soul surrendered to him. I shall never be alone, one should think. Even if I live in the darkest regions of a forest, I shall be accompanied by Krishna, and he will give me all protection. That conviction is called avayam, fearlessness. This state of mind is necessary for a devotee. That's That's the type of fearlessness we're trying to achieve. Not that we don't recognize that there's fear. It's that we take that fear and we say, you know, Krishna, please protect me. I fully depend on you to take care of these things. 
And I've, again, shared several times in my life that I felt um, alone or, you know, fearful in some ways. And Krishna shows me that I'm not alone, you know, that he's always going to protect me, that he's always going to be there for me. And the most recent example that I can think of is, you know, when I was working um, as a physician, working long hours in the clinic, you know, I'd get there at, you know, I had to be there by 8 o'clock in the morning, and I have to leave. I mean, I wouldn't leave until, like, 10 o'clock because, you know, see after you see all your patients, you have all the paperwork to do, the notes to write up, and you know, messages to answer and all these things. So it would be a long time. It'd be a long day for me. And if I wasn't working, you know, um, until about uh, ten o'clock, I'd probably, you know, if I worked the regular nine to five as most of us expect to, and got home at like five thirty or six, I would have gone, you know, to different programs like the darshan room we were having at that time, or you know, different programs that we have. So I get association because when you're or I'd socialize in some ways, you know. But when you're working that late and you get home at 10 o'clock, I mean, the only thing I have is, like, you know, finish chanting any rounds that I have left, make sure I make all my meals for the next day, and try to get a decent amount of sleep before the next day starts. So there was no interacting with anybody, even though I was living in the midst of, you know, the community here. I was working such long hours I couldn't see anybody. And so um, I was really feeling that kind of separation and anxiety. And at that time, I was dressing um, Tuesday morning and um, Monday night. Monday night, Tuesday morning. I think maybe Sunday night, too. I can't remember when I gave up Sunday night. But I was dressing Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday morning. And somehow or another, Thursday morning fell into my lap. And... I felt like that was Krishna's way of saying, okay, if you don't have anyone else to associate with, just come associate with me. And you'll be fully protected. You know, you don't have to be alone. And it was it was really sweet to be able to dress, you know, a third or second morning, even when I'm working, right? Even though it's a rush in the morning to get to work. But it was that, those few moments to just spend with Krishna, in, what, in whatever form of the deity I was dressing him, I think Thursdays was towards the Radha College in Delhi. And I just felt that was just Krishna's way of telling me that I'm not alone, that I'm protected at all times. And I think that if we, you know, sit down and we think about things like that, we can find so many examples in our own lives of how Krishna shows up for us every single time. You know, when, even when we think he doesn't, we look at and see how he does. You know, he can show up in the form of his devotees. He can show up in the form of prasadam. He can show up in the form of you know, his holy names. Um, we're so lucky with technology that we can have Krishna show up in a kirtan just by going onto YouTube and finding a really nice kirtan you know, that way. Um, and he's so merciful that he shows up in his holy names that we can just chant and he shows up for us, right? So if we can see our chanting as our association with Krishna, we never feel alone. So again, you know, I'm going to conclude with chanting is our the, the heart and soul of what we do as devotees. Everything that we do is so that we can chant in a t- uh, chant with full attention, with um, no offensive, inoffensively. And you know, the best way to do that is just to chant. 
Like, our end goal is chanting, but the way we get there is chanting. So the goal and the way to get to the goal is not different. And that's the beauty of Krishna. You know, that's how it is. Like, the goal is Krishna, but how we get there is also Krishna. He gives us the um, the intelligence to even seek out devotion. When we show a little interest, he stirs up that devotion in our life, you know. And he sends us all the things that we need. It may not seem like it. Like you'll see someone gets, oh, that person's getting more than I'm getting. You know, they get to do this, or I, you know, but I'm. Why am I only getting this much? If we get out of that kind of questioning and say, oh wow, look at how much I'm getting, and we look at how much we're getting individually, and not comparing to someone else, it we'll see that Krishna shows up for us every single time. You know. And if we meditate on that when we're chanting, you know, how is Krishna showing up for me? How am I showing up for him? You know, it works both ways. It's a relationship, so there's some reciprocity. You know, it's not just a one way that Krishna just does for you. We, you know, we take one step towards him; he takes ten steps towards us. But we have to take one step. You know, it's just a little step. But he's so happy that we take that little step. He'll do so much more. So each little step we take, he showers us with more and more. But sometimes that shower can look very different for each person. You know, sometimes that shower could be a huge house with lots of cars. Sometimes that shower could be a little hut with just a straw mat to sleep on, you know, uh, and a bicycle to get around. But, you know, it's for each its own, right, for... Each person, the amount of luxury, what's considered luxurious is uh, different for each, for other people. I think I was reading that um, Rupa Goswami was just eating, you know, whatever grains that somebody would, and begging, and then he felt like that was too opulent. And we would feel that that's austere, right? So one person's austerity could be another person's opulence, and, you know, so we can't compare to anyone else. We have to just look at what our relationship is with Krishna. And when we do that, then we can really relish the nectar of how Krishna is showing up for us every single day. Okay. What questions do you have for me? Preserve what they, yeah. Preserve what they have and carry what they lack. It's true. We, as conditioned living entities, we forget that, um, you know, we're dependent on Krishna, and that's where we have to really strengthen our faith. And we do that by chanting, but also by reading, by knowing these verses that you're talking about. That knowing that Krishna, you know, preserves what we have and carries what we lack. I mean, that's amazing, you know. That he'll, whatever we do, he'll preserve that. But whatever we're, our shortcomings, he'll also make up for that. That's 
to me is beautiful. Um, and as we, like, like here, the other verse that we quote is, as we surrender unto him, he reciprocates accordingly. So, you know, it's not that Krishna plays favorites. It's he's just waiting for our cue. And so when we give him the cue that, okay, I'm, I'm ready, then he'll give us as much as we're ready for. That's where he reciprocates accordingly. That's good points. Well, if there are no other questions or comments, we'll end here. Dharantra Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.